Welcome to Sojourn Grace Collective, a progressive Christian church in San Diego, where our mission is to foster spiritual, social, and emotional wholeness. In our community, we affirm all that makes you, you. We celebrate your gender identities and sexual orientations, your race and socioeconomic status, your physical abilities and your religious creeds, because here at Sojourn, it all belongs. This podcast is a replay of our Sunday morning teachings, and we hope you find encouragement and inspiration as you make your way through this week. You can visit us online at SojournGrace.com, where you can learn more about our faith community, discover resources to help you find wholeness in your life, and partner with us in our mission through tax-deductible contributions. Thanks for joining us today, and may you know, above all else, that you are a loved child of God, full stop. Welcome to Sojourn. So we're still in the middle of our uh, soul care practice series, going through different practices to care for our souls holistically. And um, this morning, we're going to address the soul care practice, my favorite, (coughs) right as I lose my voice, my favorite soul care practice, prayer. So um, the whole service is going to be that. So, you know, normally we would spend a little chunk of the service addressing the soul care practice, like a little sermon or spiritual nugget, as we call it here often. Um, But this time for this soul care practice, we're going to spend the whole service on this. So um, Kolb's going to lead some music and we'll just go back and forth between us. Um, We're going to do one song to open up, just get ourselves awake. And then, um, well, that's fun because the song is called Awake My Soul. (laughs) Maybe I picked that on purpose. I don't know. (laughs) We're going to awake our souls. And then after that, um, every song that we do will be a practice of prayer as well. And I'll walk us through it all. So I want to say right now that if you're like, oh, they're doing prayer today. Hopefully you didn't already leave. Hang tight with me. Um, Because I think that this practice more than any other um, has a lot of triggers in it and a lot of old. But that's the whole point of today is we're actually going to walk through each of those triggers. Um. I've narrowed it down to just three, three triggers we have around prayer from maybe old teachings or bad theology, and we're going to just address them head on. We're going to name them to take all the fear and anxiety and harm out of it, move through it together. So we're going to hold hands virtually, and we're going to walk through it all together. We're going to name those triggers, then we're going to flip the script, and then I'm going to invite us into a new kind of prayer practice. Okay. So we're going to be together, nothing to be afraid of. We're going to move through those triggers, stay, hang. I'm really hopeful that prayer can start to be something that as progressives we can, um, I don't want to say claim because it sounds so, I just want it to be something that wasn't hijacked from us, you know? Like a lot of times as progressives we, um, we get robbed of some really beautiful things because of of the more harmful ways we were taught about things, if that makes sense. I'm really hopeful that we can move out of that because prayer, prayer is whole and good. There's nothing harmful in it. And anything that we were taught that's harmful about it was just wrong. It was just wrong. So we're going to move away from it. We're going to move into something that's whole. That's our mission here at Sojourn. It's wholeness. So hang tight with us. I promise we'll be good. We'll take lots of deep breaths and we're going to have fun. Okay. Welcome to Sojourn. 
first thing that I want to say about the practice of prayer is that um, prayer is not a Christian practice. When I say that, I do not mean that if you are practicing Christianity, that prayer is not a beautiful part of that practice. What I do mean to say is that prayer has never and will never belong to the institution of Christianity. Um, That's my favorite thing about prayer, actually, is how it belongs to all of us. So I want to say that it's not a Christian practice. It's a human experience. It's a human experience. Humans pray. Um, Everyone throughout all of time around the whole world, whatever tradition they sit in, um, whatever thoughts they have about the world, everyone prays. Um, One of my favorite spiritual teachers, John Philip Newell, more about him later, um, says this about prayer. Prayer is poetry of the soul. Mm. And it's about giving expression to the deepest longings of our being. If that's what prayer is, then it's just beautiful and whole and good and it belongs to all of us. It does not belong to the institution of Christianity. Um, That said, a lot of us, um, is it doing that flashing to everybody? Oh, the screen's doing a weird flashing thing. That's great. Just a note. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I got nervous there for a second. Um, What was I going to say then? Crap, I shouldn't have interrupted myself. Anyway, um, prayer doesn't belong to the institution of Christianity. It's something that we can um, all practice and feel connected to all of humanity in. Um, That said... Most of us grew up in the institution of Christianity. Even if growing up, uh, you didn't grow up in the conservative evangelical church every Sunday or three times a week. Um, you, if you grew up, and I know we have a global community here, um, so not everything I say is going to um, make sense to everyone here. But hang tight with me because so much of this is universal. But those of us who grew up in America, um, America is so influenced by and um, just immersed in uh, evangelical Christian, modern evangelical Christian culture that um, that these teachings that we were given about prayer, I think even if you didn't grow up in the church as a kid, um, even just through growing up in America, it got in your head through culture. So I want to move through some of these things that we were taught prayer is. Um, we were just taught that like that is what what prayer is, but what we were being taught is the institution of American evangelical Christianity. And that's not, that's not what prayer is. So we're going to move through just three things today. And I feel like there's so many more. Like I said, when I was preparing this week, I was like, how do I fit this all into the short time that we have together? Um, And so um, I picked just three things and I'm going to call them triggers. So a trigger just means something that when we hear it or come up against it or experience it, it, it kind of stops us in our tracks and makes us makes us think so much about old wounding or harmful um, experiences or teachings, and it stops us. We get triggered by it, and it stops us from being able to move forward in wholeness. And so... Um, you could just call them like archaic um, or antiquated teachings or um, <laughs> theology that you don't resonate with, but I'm just going to refer to them today just for ease of vocabulary. I'm just going to refer to them as triggers. So we're going to move through three different triggers um, that we have around prayer. 
because of what we were taught in the institution of American evangelical Christianity. And then I want us to just kind of move through gently the trigger together and then flip the script a little bit. And then I want to give an invitation to you to right here today together to um, practice prayer on the other side of the trigger with wholeness and in a way that really does feel like good care for the soul, right? That's the series we're in. That's the point is to care for our souls. So this whole morning is going to be about that. Um, And I just invite you to, um, as we move through all of this, to be gentle with yourself because if we're talking about triggers that can bring up a lot of stuff right if you're a journaler grab your journal um i stayed in my probably y'all are in your cozies almost every sunday but i usually dress (laughs) up and today i stayed in my cozies for this time but um i just invite you to cozy yourself up as much as possible and be gentle with yourself as we move through this um so the first trigger that i want to address is that we were taught um, by the institution of American evangelical Christianity, we were taught that we pray for the lost. We pray for the lost. Um, Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? What we mean when we say lost is we mean something very specific. We mean folks who we have said, we have judged to have walked away from God. And what we mean when we say walked away from God is we mean a very specific thing. What we really mean is they walked away from a very specific um, idea of a, a moral code. They walked away from American evangelical Christianity. They walked away from the institution. And so the first thing I want to say around that today is that um, walking away from any institution, walking away from anything for any reason is never walking away from God. It's just not, okay? I know y'all know this, but let's just, let's move through the trigger by being very clear. You do not walk away from God, especially if you're walking away from an institution that is causing harm. You are walking with God. You are not walking away from God. And so we have this trigger around prayer because so many of us were taught that we pray for the lost. So even to think about prayer, even if we just hear the word prayer, and it's not attached to anything else, that trigger comes up for us of, I don't want to be a part of something that's condescending and judgmental. Sometimes we just hear, like, I'm praying for you. And even if someone means it in a genuine, whole way, we still get triggered by, like, that's condescending. And so often it is condescending, right? Who of us haven't experienced um, that I'll pray for you that comes directly in response to hearing that we maybe don't adhere to a certain doctrine anymore or we don't act in a certain way anymore. And so someone's praying for us because they believe that we're lost. And my loves, (coughs) you don't need to be prayed for just because someone heard that you march in the pride parade, right? Or you go to an affirming church, you don't need to be prayed for for that you're not lost, right? Um, you don't need to be prayed for because you no longer buy into substitutionary atonement theory. You don't need to be prayed for for that. And haven't you experienced that of someone saying, oh, I'm praying for you, and you're like, you just kind of want to say, can you not? <laughs> I, don't, I don't need you to. I'm learning to respond with, oh, thanks, I'm praying for you too, <laughs> which kind of sounds like fighting fire with fire, being condescending back, but I don't mean it that way. I genuinely, I'm like trying to be subversive, like with my holistic um, idea of prayer. So anyway, that's the trigger, right? That we were taught that there's um, 
that there's prayer around people who are lost. My, my mom had a tin box full of three by five index cards filled with names of folks who were thought of as lost. And that was our practice as we prayed for those who were lost and we prayed for them to return. Now, I want to really quick um, address the stories that a lot of us, in my tradition, I was taught that um, Jesus told these stories, these three parables that he tells right in a row in the Bible um, of lost things, right? So there's the shepherd who loses one sheep, there's the woman who loses a coin, and there's the father who loses a son. And I bring up these stories because so many of us were taught that these stories were examples of this idea of being lost, right? Of lost from God. And of course, by God, we meant the institution of Christianity. We called people lost from God when um, they didn't do exactly what we thought they should be doing morally, or they no longer went to church, or the church that we thought they should go to, right? It's everything I've just been talking about, but we were told that these parables were examples of that, right? So we often thought of the story of the prodigal son, of the father is God, and God celebrates when the son finally returns, and that's this sort of allegory for um, walking away from this very specific idea of Christianity and this very specific idea of morality, and God celebrates when we return to him. Um, the first thing I want to point out about those stories is that isn't it interesting that we use those stories to talk about folks who've walked away from the institution of Christianity but those stories were first told by Jesus long before the institution of Christianity existed, right? So these, these stories of lostness uh, were first told before any of that existed. So they couldn't have originally been meant to talk about walking away from the institution of Christianity. And there was a different moral code, an entirely different moral code in that time. So it wasn't talking about walking away from the very specific American modern moral code. So that can't have been what Jesus was talking about. So that's the first thing I want to point out with those stories. And hang tight with me because you're like, where are we going? I thought we were talking about prayer, okay? Hang tight with me for a second because I have a practice of prayer I want us to um, lean into today. A holistic practice of prayer, okay? So we'll get there. Hang tight with me one minute. So these stories of being lost that we were told. We were told that God is the father and the prodigal son is um, those of us who walked away from the institution of church or the moral code, right? And as I said, the first problem with that is that, that none of that existed when those stories were first told. Secondly, I have learned through the teachings of Dr. Amy Jill Levine to look at these stories and to stop as we as we should when we look at ancient stories and think about the audience that first experienced these stories, who Jesus was talking to. How did they see the world? And, and when he told these stories, what would, what would they have thought of? And Dr. Amy Jill Levine teaches, reminds us that in that day, in that culture, in that setting, it never would have occurred to the folks that Jesus was talking to when he told these parables about this lost experience and this going and finding and searching experience and this returning experience. It never would have occurred to folks in that time to look in these stories and figure out who the God character was. It wasn't what they would have done. They would have first and foremost and really only asked, who am I in the story? And furthermore, they never would have considered that the story was about God 
losing, an allegory of God losing us because it wouldn't have occurred to them that we could be lost from God. That is something that we think of in our context, in our culture, in our day. But these stories weren't told in our context or our culture or our day. And so we have to ask, what would that audience have asked when they heard these parables of this shepherd who loses one sheep and goes out and, and doesn't rest until they find the sheep? And this woman who is counting her coins, keeping track of how many she has, and when she loses one, she stops and she looks for it. And this father whose son leaves and comes back, and he throws a huge party and he only celebrates. That's all he does. He just celebrates lavishly, a lavish celebration. So when we sit, here's where I want to go with this this morning, when we sit in the truth that we cannot be lost from God, can we sit in that? Can we sit in that truth this morning? We all know it. We've showed up here in this space. We're at Sojourn Grace Collective today because we know we cannot be lost from God. These stories become universally applicable and they become so much more compelling. For instance, what if the story of the shepherd and the lost sheep, I see myself as the shepherd and I see myself as responsible to count and look around and notice who's not here? Who's not here right now? That's compelling. That's compelling. And here's what I want to hone in on today with these stories of lostness. You cannot be lost from God. And we experience great loss. And specifically today, I want to hone in on the experience, the universal experience we all have of losing pieces of ourself. Whether it's from our wounding and our trauma, or from societal expectations and teachings, harmful theology, the masks and the armor we wear to protect ourselves, we lose pieces of ourselves, don't we? What if these stories show that every piece of us is so important that we are to go out and not rest until we find the lost pieces of ourselves and bring them back. It's about the mission of wholeness. Are you with me? The mission of wholeness. And what if you could see yourself as the father who what happens when there's a returning? A celebration, a wild celebration, right? Um, so what I want us to do today, this first practice, as we move through the trigger of like, dude, folks are not lost from God, right? That's not, we don't pray for the lost. This is not a condescending practice. There's nothing that should ever be condescending about prayer. We are not lost from God. And we all universally experience loss in so many ways. So I want us to practice, the first practice today is the practice of centering prayer. And I chuckle a little bit because all prayer is centering prayer, which I'll get more into later. But this is a very specific way of praying, centering prayer. This is when you focus on a word or a phrase and you just spend some quiet moments meditating on that idea. And so we're going to practice centering prayer today because I do want us to think about this experience of lost, the things that have been lost to our identities, the ways in which we are not whole. Um, I love what Cynthia Bourgeau, who works with Father Richard Rohr at the Living School, um, she says, centering prayer is quintessentially a pathway of return. Can you just picture that story of the prodigal son 
Let's make them a, a prodigal daughter, a prodigal binary human, non-binary human, um, a prodigal they. They are walking down this path toward the parent, the loving mother hen that we talked about last week. And there's just celebration. So we're going to do centering prayer. And I want you to choose, or do both, but I want you to choose between two ways of centering prayer today. Maybe for you today, you need to focus on the loss because you need to find that thing that's been lost so that you can make it whole. So choose. Is there a piece of you? Have you lost your fire? Have you lost your voice? Have you lost your joy, your capacity for joy? That's, that's what I'm going to choose today is my capacity for joy, for lighthearted, childlike, with abandoned, silly, goofy, dancing, wild, weird joy. That's going to be my centering prayer today, okay? As we move through this next song, we're going to pray and I'm going to focus on that. And then I also wonder if you might choose centering prayer that celebrates the returning. Is there something that you made whole in you? And you can practice being the father in the story. There's been a returning. And you can just celebrate with centering gratitude around that today. And again, maybe for you, you can do both. It all belongs, whatever works for you. But we're going to practice centering prayer. So find a phrase, an idea. Maybe it's a symbol, something that has been lost to you. And you're going to focus in on it through this song. And you're going to think about what it might take to make it whole in you again, to bring it back to you, a returning. Because what we can all agree on is these stories are definitely about loss and searching and counting. Take account of, take account of your life today and ask what is lost. That's what these stories are about and about returning to wholeness and celebrating that. We cannot be lost from God. Prayer should never be condescending. You cannot be lost from God. You cannot. To walk away from something is not to walk away from God. And we experience loss. And through centering prayer, we can practice that beautiful pathway of returning home to yourself. All right. Uh, number two. Number two is so connected to the first. Number two, we were taught that prayer is how we get and stay close to God. So we're taught that people can be lost, right? They walk away from the institution, from the moral code, and then they're just lost from God. But then even those of us who are going to church every week and doing all the things and we're in the institution, we haven't walked away, we're, we're there. We would be counted, right, from this judgment point. We'd be counted as, as in. Even then, we have to pray so that we stay in close relationship with God, right? So that's our second trigger. It's not just that, that folks can be lost. It's also that when, when you're still counted as in, oh God, panicky, right? You got to stay close to God. You got to pray every day so that I'm close in relationship with God. So we were taught that prayer is our access to God. When the truth is, here's how we're going to flip the script, right? And we all know this, but we're just taking a moment today to be intentional about that trigger so that we can move through to a new practice of prayer. The truth is that everything, is access to God. Food, 
flowers and sex and coffee and toes in the sand and wading in the ocean and hiking in the woods and prayer. Prayer is not the way to stay in relationship to God. But it is, and it is, one way to pay attention to our relationship with God. Do you feel that difference? Do you feel that shifting? We just are in relationship with God because we are a reflection of God and a creation of God and we are with God and in God always. So prayer is not a way to keep us in God. Prayer is a way to notice that we are in God. The practice of mindfulness is the practice of awareness of that access to God that's in all things, right? When we practice mindfulness, we practice not just going about our busy day, but noticing. Noticing. So that we're not disconnected from what's happening. So prayer then is simply a mindfulness practice. It's a way to stay awake. Because while we can't stray away from God, we can certainly be asleep to her, right? And so we pray ourselves awake. We practice paying attention. I think about how when we sit down before a meal and we pray for our food. Now, this is a practice that I grew up with. I don't know if you're like me, but every meal we always prayed before we ate, which is interesting because that's a mindfulness practice. And so we always did it, but we, we were praying for weird things like the salvation of those who were lost, right? But we prayed before every meal. And that's actually a mindfulness pra- practice. So if I show up to prayer before a meal and I pray gratitude for the hands that helped prepare it and I... Um, and I'm thankful for the way that it tastes and for all the different things that were provided for. And um, I just, you know, pray that this food is nourishing to my body. It's not that some magical thing then happens, right, to my food. It's not that I have shifted something in the cosmos to make that experience more sacred. What I've shifted is my consciousness to notice that it is sacred. If I pray before I eat, then suddenly as I eat, I'm present and I'm noticing and I'm awake to the sacred experience that is food at the table and in my belly, right? Turn our attention to the sacredness of everything. That's mindfulness prayer. Mary Oliver wrote in her piece called Sometimes, she wrote, instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. So this is our next practice of prayer. Mindfulness prayers. Your invitation during this next song is to actively and intentionally look around you and notice the sacred. Okay? So I'm looking around me right now and I notice the look on my husband's face when he watches me. Thanks be to God. Right, and it brings tears to my eyes and I get all shaky because I'm noticing, I'm noticing, I'm paying attention to the God in that, right? I'm looking over at my washer and dryer and I'm like, oh my God, thank God I have that washer and dryer. Makes my life so much easier. Thanks be to God, right? I look over at my kids' bicycles and oh my God, they're squishy little bodies that are so active right now. All the joy they bring me every day, thanks be to God. So during this next song that Colby sings, I want you to look around your space that you're in right now, and I want you to notice every bit of sacred. 
Look at your people, look at your things, look at your life. Take account and be mindful. Show up, pay attention and be astonished. And then tell about it. Say it out loud. Thanks be to God. You can use my words, thanks be to God. That's how I'm practicing. It's just a quick little phrase that I can say to tell about it. Or you can pick a different mantra. But pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it. So we've got centering prayers. Right, this pathway to returning home to ourselves, a practice of wholeness is really what that is just time to focus and center, centering prayer. And then we've got mindful prayers where we just pay attention, just intentionally open our eyes to what is and um, be astonished and tell about it, right? Um, and then this is our last one, okay? So, first, again, we'll start with the trigger. Um, and the trigger is this that prayer is a way to convince God to change our circumstances, right? This is the begging that comes. And it makes so much sense because we look around at this earth, we see everything that's broken. And I think it's quite natural, organic, you might say, to look for God and then to beg God for help. That makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. And I think it's important to name that. Because sometimes we just scoff at that, right? Because we have this crazy culture of praying for the results we want in a football game. And so it can, we can get so jaded around this. But when you stop and think about the extreme loss that we experience in life, when we look around at all of the ways in which the world is broken and hurting, it actually makes a lot of sense that we look for God and we ask for something else. We beg for things to change. I have a long and sordid experience with this kind of prayer, um, praying for the closest person to me to get better while she was sick, right? And then when she doesn't, you're like, well, where's God and what was the point in this prayer, right? And there's many answers that Christians have given for that. Um, and I'm not even going to get into that because I just want to name that it makes sense. It makes sense that we search for God in our deepest pain. And I've thought a lot about how... For years, I've been so, because of my wounding, so against mm. prayers of intercession, right? So against it. And in my most honest, raw, quiet moments, I've wondered, but if again, the closest person to me got sick, if I had to live through that again, mm. would I probably still show up and beg God? If my child was sick, I think I'd find myself on my knees Right? And I share this because while it can be super triggering and even painful, really painful, and I'm speaking from personal experience, it can be painful when we hear people, especially if it's praise reporting, right? Like God saved this person, spared this person from sickness. They're still alive. And your person wasn't spared. Mm. Your person wasn't healed from that prayer. It can be so painful. And like I said, it makes sense. It's human to when we're in pain, look for God and beg God, please, anything but this, please. So I think it's important with this trigger to name that. And it's hard for me because I've still got that wounding. But if I'm honest, 
in those most raw places inside of me, I would still beg God for anything but this, right? If I was up against that same circumstance again, okay? So just just some compassion for when we come up against that. It's not the time to rail against Christians or to be um, spiteful or um, judgmental of that way of thinking. I went through a season of life where I really was very judgmental in that. So I'm just bringing us back to compassion. And again, naming that it is it is a painful experience. It is to pray for something and to have that not come true. Okay. So we're going to sit in that, name how real that trigger is, and we're going to talk about a different way, a different way to pray what they call prayers of intercession, which I do not use that word anymore, okay? Um, So this morning, what I want to invite us to is um, activating prayers, okay? Prayers of activation. So these are are our, yes, about circumstances, about the broken world, about hurting people. These are the prayers we pray when we look at how— how much hurt is in the world when our people come to us and say, you know, I've got this situation. When people post in the sanctuary page and say, pray for me. These are, these are those prayers, okay? Activating prayers. It's all about the ways in which we are hurting as humans. And what I want us to do is to um, sit in the both end of this one more than more than any of the other triggers. Some of those we can just be like, oh, that's some BS, right? Like, can't be lost from God. And then we can just move to the new thing. This one's got a lot more both-andy in it, right? It's got some both-andness in it. So we're going to move through that trigger. We know that God is not this big guy in the sky playing chess with our lives and moving pieces um, to either cause destruction or healing depending upon his mood, Right? This is this is the trigger. So we've been taught. And we know that's not true. And and we know that it is our human go-to organic response to hurt in life to think of prayer and to and this just this isn't just something that happens to folks who've been raised to think that that's what you do. I promise you, the research shows this is a human, raw, organic, not raised in any institution experience. And I think it's because we are energy and we are connected. So when I hear that you are hurting, I want to show up for you energetically. I want to pray for you. And I still believe this is a beautiful practice. Um... I love, I still love, will always love what St. Teresa of Calcutta says about prayer, said about prayer. I used to pray to convince God to change things, right? That's the old, the trigger. Then I realized I pray to change me, and then I change things. And Father Richard Rohr says it this way. There's a deep relationship between the inner revolution of prayer and the transformation of social structures and social consciousness. Our hope lies in the fact that meditation is going to change the society that we live in, just as it has changed us. So when we pray these kinds of activating prayers, we look out in the world and we pray for hurting people, we pray for the world, we do so to again pray ourselves awake to change our own consciousness. Because there's a way to move about life disconnected, right? Forgetting that we belong to each other. Forgetting that we are called and responsible to show up. Forgetting that we have a voice and a fire in our bellies. 
Um, And so we pray to remember and we pray to be activated, to be mobilized, to move ourselves. Um, And then also we pray because we are energy. When you say, I'm praying for you, you can say so um, with a clear conscience. You do not have to feel like, oh God, I said that, but I don't really believe in prayer. Because you are energy. And when you tell a friend, a loved one, a a fellow church member, I'm praying for you, you've done something right there. You've stood in solidarity with that person. You've decided, hey, look, we're a community. And when you're hurting, I'll show up in my strength. And I know when I'm hurting, you'll show up in your strength. And we can take turns being the one who's hurting and in need and, and the one who shows up for those in need. Praying for our people does something because we are energy. I made a flippant remark about this a while back when we were praying for someone who had just experienced a great loss and they were hurting. And our own um, Bob Porter um, heard that and it really shifted something in him. And then he summed it up like this. And I just think it's the best summary of activating prayer that I've ever heard. He said, we don't pray because we need something. We pray because we are something. Amen. Right? We are energy and we are connected and we are God and we are family and we are one and we move about on this earth. If you want to be old school, the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We don't look at those stories of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the prodigal son and try to figure out where the God is because we are right here. We are the ones on earth. We are the incarnation. God chose to show up in skin, in flesh and blood. So it's us. So we activate. We pray to get moving. To get energy moving to support folks. Or to get ourselves moving into action to change the world. These are activating prayers. So we can do so in good conscience. Knowing that we're not begging God to change God's mind. To spare some and knowing that others won't be spared, we will all suffer no matter what. Suffering is inevitable. The question is, can we show up for each other in that suffering? So this is going to be our next practice of prayer, activating prayers. And you know what? This one I've really had to play with. Because how do you still believe in showing up in activating prayers, but not say it like, hey God, would you make so-and-so not sick anymore? Right, Um, And so I wanted to share with you that one of the best ways that I have learned to do that is through the work of, and I referenced him earlier, he was the one that said that prayer is poetry of the soul, okay? This guy has meant everything to me. Um, And this book has changed my life and has built my prayer life for me. This is how I pray. It's called Sounds of the Eternal, A Celtic Psalter. And they're just beautiful, simple prayers. So I'm going to read two of them for us, just as examples. And then Colb's going to do one more song. And during this song, I I invite you to use, the lyrics will be on the screen again. And I invite you to just use those lyrics, honestly, as our activating prayer this morning. But if you also just want to make up your own prayers right now, um, activating prayers. Think of those who are hurting in the world and situations that we want to see changed. And just practice and know that it's going to be clunky, right? It's going to be clunky. We're trying to move out of, hey, God, would you do this to something else, but still connecting to God and still wanting to pray, right? Um, So here's some gorgeous examples of that that I want to read for us this morning, and then we'll sing this last song together in activating prayer. 
that you have made us in the image of your own mystery. Thanks be to you, O God. That in the soul of every human being, there are depths beyond naming and heights greater than knowing. Thanks be to you. Here's the activating, right? Okay. Grant us the grace of inner sight this day that we may see you as the self within all selves. Grant us the grace of love this day that amidst the pain and the disfigurement of life, we may find the treasure that is unlocked by love. That amidst the pain and disfigurement of our own life, we may know the richness that lies buried in the human soul. That truth has been inscribed into our hearts and into the heart of every human being, there to be read and reverenced. Thanks be to you, O God. That there are ways of seeing and sensitivities of knowing hidden deep in the palace of the soul, waiting to be discovered, ready to be set free. Thanks be to you. Here's our activating prayer. Open our senses to wisdom's inner promptings, that we may give voice to what we hear in our soul and be changed for the healing of the world. That we may listen for truth in every living soul and be changed for the well-being of the world. Amen. A large portion of Sojourn's financial support comes from listeners like you, people who hear messages like this one and want to express their gratitude for our ministry, or who are simply thrilled to know that a church like Sojourn exists. Or maybe you can't attend services on Sunday mornings, yet you still consider Sojourn Grace Collective your spiritual community. If that's you, and if you'd like to partner with us in this work, please visit sojourngrace.com partner where you can make a one-time donation or sign up to be a monthly supporter. Also, don't forget that we stream our services live every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific on both our Facebook and YouTube pages. And if you missed us live, you can always re-watch the video playback later or subscribe to this, our Sojourn podcast. It was an honor to have you with us today. As you go about your week, may you take with you the words we say at the end of all our gatherings. Be brave because you are a child of God. And be kind because, well, so is everyone else.